Welcome to this special bonus episode of the Overlook Hour. I'm your host, Clark Little. Along with me, as always, is no one. It's just me recording on my phone. Wanted to let you know that we got a special episode for you this week. That's why we wanted to drop it on a Friday. You may be, you may have just listened to our episode that we dropped yesterday. And then you saw in your feed today that we got another episode? Yeah, that's right. We work hard over here. Do you understand? Sure. So does Joe Rogan and many other podcasters that uh, have a fine, fine living off of this. Here we are. Owing money. Surely we're doing something wrong. But we are doing something right with this week's guest, Eric Brest. Uh, thrilled to have Eric on um, as a special uh, bonus. So sometimes we get uh, calls in from um, uh, different agencies and, and they want to hook us up with filmmakers. And uh, we had the chance to interview with Eric. And so we jumped at that um, at the first go that we could. We were thrilled to talk to him. Uh, Eric has a brand new film that comes out the very day that this episode airs. Is that an accident? Kind of. But not really. That's why we wanted to make this a bonus episode um, so that we can get this out um, so you guys can check out this movie, uh, Ghost of War. It's available anywhere that you can stream movies. Uh, So please, rent it, buy it, whatever's available for this movie, check it out. It's it's, Russell, Oksana, and myself watched it on Sunday. It's crazy. It's a wild ride, man. Um, And Eric, you know, he's the same guy. He brought us the butterfly effect. He's worked in the Final Destination franchise. He did. He wrote Final Destination too. And as Russell claims to Eric, that's his favorite of the franchise. And if you're a listener of the show, you know that Randy's a big fan. So Randy was a, a bummed uh, that he wasn't able to sit in on this interview. Also, uh, sometimes when we when we work with um, these agencies, they only give us a time frame as, as Eric is on his uh, media crunch tour. So uh, they gave us a 15-minute window, but as we were talking to Eric, he said that he could go longer. So we absolutely did that. And we got a nice about 45-minute interview with Eric. Um, so, and uh, man, he's just, he's great. Hopefully we can sit down and talk with him again soon um, for whatever projects he's got coming out. So check out Ghost of War, uh, available wherever you stream movies, iTunes. Google Play, the other one, whatever you got, check it out, enjoy this special episode with Eric, and we'll see you next week. Later, lollipops. Good to hear you. Hi, Eric. It's good to hear you, man. I'm Clark. I'm also uh, the default host of the show. Good to see you, man. Uh, great to talk to both of you. How, how, how are things? Uh, you on this uh, junket? How, how is the press tour? How's this all going during COVID? Is it, has it changed dramatically or is it the same old bullshit day in, day out? You know, I've been surprised by some of the questions. It's actually kind of refreshing not to sit in one and just have different people come in and out, which is much more like a police interrogation from my experience. <laughs> So, you know, this is kind of fine because I can always hit mute if I'm vaping or whatever else I'm doing. No one needs to know. Um, <laughs> it's actually not all too unpleasant, I got to say. What about for you? Well, that's good. You know, look, any any silver linings that we can get during this time of uh, pandemic, you know, I, I think we just got to take it for what it is, right? Right. <laughs> now, now, Eric. I'm trying to be glass half full. <laughs> that's it. 
All right. Well, optimism ends here. Um, <laughs> Eric, we're, we're so happy. We jumped at the opportunity to talk to you. Normally, we don't have a 15-minute constraint, and we try to keep our guests here for like three hours, which is dumb, and we're not Joe Rogan, so we're not making money. But <laughs> our engineer, who is a, uh, Randy, I'm sorry, but a pretentious Criterion collection owner who only watches French New Wave films... Know the type. Yep. He, <laughs> so he he fits into our horror podcast because he loves one franchise, one horror franchise, and no. it has to. It happens to be the Final Destination one. Oh, no, that's awesome. Yeah, and <laughs> I, we talk about it regularly. And uh, my particular favorite is Final Destination two. And I I just quickly I had to sneak in what it, a question. Um, what is it like writing for? Uh, a film that almost makes Rube Goldberg a slasher. You know, it's, you live, it's funny. Once I finished two and then right before four, it was one of those Godfather three, you know, pulling me back in moments (laughs) where you will live in a paranoid bubble for months at a time because you need, you know, gravity, water, uh, electricity, anything that can go wrong within your field of view, you need to be on the lookout for how that could possibly kill you it, with just a little bad luck. And uh, as fun as they are to write, there's a certain headspace you have to embrace going into them. Um, one is, you know, it's so much fun where no matter how violent the outcome uh, you're getting grins from the audience and and the people paying you to come up with this shit, and uh, <laughs> and it also it's like the only horror franchise where you can go big. You're al- I mean, it's not under three million. You're like, oh, there's going to be a giant highway pileup, and the more visceral the violence, the better. <laughs> and great. Thank you. This is wonderful. You Dude, don't get to see that anywhere else. What an iconic moment, too. I on the way every day on the way to work, I'm behind a truck that's carrying trees or, you know, several other cars and <laughs> y- you basically created an urban legend and reinvented a tired genre in one stroke. So, We're just honored to have you here. And I watched uh, this before I took my uh, DMV test. So, thanks for that, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> well, I see the meme. Someone is always, you know, sending me the latest meme of somebody taking a photo from their car and there's a dozen PVC pipes popping out the back or oh. three surfboards piled up on top of each other in a very precarious way. I mean, it lives. It continues to live years after the fact. Well, Eric, uh, we're, we're glad to have you. And uh, we saw the movie last night and good Lord. <laughs> <laughs> Man almighty, I am so excited uh, for everyone to see this film. Um, so, Eric, tell us how this project started. You know, you wrote and directed this, and uh, you haven't directed uh, since uh, The Butterfly Flecked in 2004. So, how did this project come about? Um, okay, and before we talk, this part you could edit out if you wanted to, but I don't mind going a little long today. I am familiar with your podcast, and oh. I see it's like two hours, 16 minutes. I'm like... And they only want me to for fifteen. I, I'm insulted. I want to cry. So no, that's all the publicists. Along, we're we're down know. for whatever you want, Eric. Okay, just uh, letting letting you know. Wait, wait. Um, so I'm curious. How are you familiar? Were were people warning you not to come on here? Yeah, <laughs> no. I'm always uh, just the, the word overlook right there is like you know I, I is the 
that would be the movie that changed my life. So, you know, I, I find it. I find things out there. So, uh, you know, no, I'm just familiar. What would you? Nobody warned me. So, really quickly, what do you think of Doctor Sleep? I wanted to hate it in a way that I hated the book, and I hated <laughs> that. <laughs> but the way that third act brought my favorite location back to life again for me and resurrected the actual ending of the novel with the boiler explosion. I, and I think that, uh, Mike Flanagan is, you know, the greatest horror director out there today. I was, uh, very pleasantly surprised. I mean, still some of that steam shit bothered me and just felt like such a friggin' departure from the original material. But I mean, and I am such a Stephen King nut. I mean, it's not fair. I'm being any Wilkes have that in common, but, um, <laughs> I just, you know, that book, I don't know. I didn't really want to see Danny Torrance growing up. I didn't want to see the AA thing so much. I thought it was really cool. how it was set up in, the first act with the redemption with the uh the mother and uh dead kid kind of might be set up and you're not even sure if that actually happened or not um but um i i enjoyed it i thoroughly enjoyed it i so that that is that's what i thought of dr sleep you know i had huge shoes to fill and going back to the overlook was you know, it was a far better version of even Ready Player One, which, you know, for me, that was the best part of the movie, being in the Overlook Hotel. Yeah. Um, and I thought Dr. Sleep did, uh, it, it, you know, it resurrected my boyhood. All right. Now, as a writer and director, how did you feel about recasting roles instead of having a CGI, I don't know, double? I, I mean, instead of getting Danny Lloyd to come out of retirement, yeah. instead of getting Ewan McGregor, I, uh, you know, I, I guess I got to go with the live people who can really act. <laughs> I don't know what Danny Lloyd would have brought to the film exactly. Oh, oh, but you're talking more like the Shelley Duvall of it all. Yeah. Uh, the Wendy Torrance thing. Well, it's... You know, it was... Yeah, go, oh, it, it's, it's just like the, the thing, the, you know, as a fan, yeah, yeah. I'm so used to vocalizing how much I hate looking at like fake people. Like they just never really feel like people. And then, you know, we get Rogue One and they, they're pretty convincing. And then I found myself, I'm a huge House of the Devil fan, yet I found myself in those moments kind of, I, I couldn't, it was ruining my immersion. And I'm just curious as a director, would you have, well, actually you're kind of in a precarious position though. Because people could actually make money versus a computer, but I was just curious on your insight there. It was, you know, it was it was always going to be distracting. Uh, the Shelley, the Wendy, I thought was the best of them. The Dick Halloran was, I mean, Dick Halloran, I got to say, was pretty good because who's really thinking of Scatman Crothers, you know, and and not he doesn't make quite as big an impression. Maybe you could buy this new kind of. Version of the Dick Halloran character, the the Nicholson though. I mean, you know, man, that was that was was rough. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) and I almost wish they, you know, just got, um, you know, somebody to do more more of a Nicholson. You know what I mean? Instead of doing what might have been truer to the novel, you know, getting Jack Torrance, you know. and I forget it was it was Elliot from ET, right? It was um, who, I, I didn't even put it together at first when I saw the film. 
Oh, I, yeah, I have no clue. Wait, was it really? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that was... That's oh, even I'm, more I'm trippy. I'm looking it up right now. You're going to be like, really? That was him? Yeah, it was... Uh, oh, you know him. You love him. You grew up with him. It's... We got yep, a race going nothing. on? Nothing. I know. I'm trying to race you here. I think I'm going to fail. Uh, let me see. Hold on. Sorry. Just looking for... Uh... Do you still do you still hear me? Yeah, I'm there. We're here. Henry, Henry Thomas is the bartender. Oh damn! Yep. Oh boy. Oh well, you win. Anyway, we so, we we dragged you out here to talk about Billy Zane, not about. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I'm sure you know that everyone's waiting for me to get right on now, the uh, the promotion now, of the Billy Zane train. I know. Now, to be <laughs> fair, when. You know, the brief Google research that all Americans do before watching a movie now, when we see mm-hmm. Billy Zane and it's like, what, what, did, what came up? Action horror. That, that paints a very different yeah. picture than what we're dealing with here. Yeah. And then, as you know, because you saw the film, I mean, it was, it was always going to be a rough spot to fill to shoes to fill that weird role um in uh, without too many spoilers to it but um you know you have this actor who can bring the gravitas to the second time you see him and yet the first time you see him you're almost like wait was that even who i think it was because speak in german and (laughs) to exit the film abruptly and permanently and (laughs) so a part of me was at the time wrestling with you know the fact i have this hot young cast and then there's this you know 50 something year old other part in it and do i even want that to be familiar do i do i not want the first time that that character is seen do we not want to just have them be you know nobody we know um, but I, it was you know, I'll tell you as an audience, for the here, yeah, your, your early test audience, when we were watching it, we were, uh, surprised and excited, uh, the choices you made. So whatever picture uh, people have in their head about a Billy Zane action horror, this is much more <laughs> than that. And I don't mean that in a, uh, pretentious way. I don't know. It's, it's fucking good and unexpected. Also, I've been really into hor- um, history podcast. Oh, yes, he has. And yeah, and <laughs> your treatment of um, the like army unit and the violence that comes when in a, another country and the kind of tribalism that people engage in. Dude, you, you did a good job. And it's something I don't think horror fans are used to seeing. Well, you know, there was a lot of pushback in that first sort of when we open up the film and I just want to show men at war who don't have time to take prisoners and the way they kill Nazis is just so, you know, you can tell they're going to sleep at night. You you can see that, you know, there, there may be some sort of, uh, you know, they may be affected by the war, but at this point they're, <clears throat> they're used to it. You know, it's, it's, and that was kind of the point to show instead of the typical what happens when the happy family moves into the haunted house, I wanted to show badasses where even like the most likable down to earth one, our lieutenant and leader of the gang is so blase 
when he shoots a Nazi in the head and then kind of shrugs and says softly, uh, sorry, guys, hate to ruin your fun, but I made a wrong turn and we got to back up two miles, <laughs> you know. And in fact, right after the delivery of that line, one of the actors who I won't name was so surprised to see instead of guys, stop right now. We're turning back. We got two more miles of ground. He was so more used to that kind of delivery of a soldier in a World War II scene. He kind of like ran off the set to talk to me about like, wait, what are we doing? What happened? What's wrong with that actor? Why did he deliver that line that way? <laughs> you know, what's wrong with him? And I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. See, this is, this isn't, we're, we're not in a, in an 80s movie where we're like with these people, see? And, and this guy, I'm saying two things about him. One, he can kill, but he's still got a soul and is, can be empathetic and sympathetic and kind of, oh, gee, shucks, guys. And that's who I wanted to start this journey with. Like, they're total badasses, but they're, like, likable, too, and not necessarily pure tropes. Um, so that's kind of where I wanted to start them, because I knew, what you now know, the strange road we're about to go down. And I just wanted to keep them likable, but familiar, and, and keep it just more believable than that sort of everybody's got one note you know that you're kind of used to seeing in some of the older war movies no you you did a good job portraying that the boy next door had been enlisted in the army and he was doing atrocious things and was quickly he was hurriedly um maybe excitedly ready to forget about it it's a very complicated thing to portray and you, you did it yeah, you know, one of the uh, one of the characters, I have to say, the one who we see going for gold in people's fillings, um, was inspired by a character in uh, the Pacific, the miniseries that Rami Malek plays, where he's just there's one scene where there's some nearby Japanese soldier who the top of his head has been blown off, and Rami Malek's character is just throwing little stones into the open liquid in the open skull going ploink, ploink, <laughs> ploink. And other people are so revolted by it. And you can just see like, he's not, you know, he is so ravaged by everything he's seen that he's not showing any emotion to it. And it is so wonderfully disturbing and chilling. And I'm like, yeah, I love that. You know, one of our characters has to be there. And as you know from watching the film, that that character kind of goes on a reverse character arc. Uh, you know, most times you would see the boy next door or maybe the father of a young son goes off to war and with time becomes, he has to embrace the monster side of himself just to cope. Uh, with what's going on around him, uh, you know, some coping defense mechanism and kind of turns into a bit of a, a monster himself. And that character, as we watch the film, it kind of rewinds us back to who he once was. And I always thought that was a nice art because when you first see him, he's doing the plink thing. But then he does something really redemptive in the next beat when he when the R gang encounters a group of concentration camp escapees. 
And then the more we see him, even though our very first impression of him was that, oh, this is the nut job. This is the psycho in the gang. You start to realize, like, he's actually one of the more commonsensical and heartfelt ones. The one who would bury a comrade when everyone else is just looking to get out of Dodge. You know, the, the one who still has a soul left when everyone else is just operating on adrenaline and fumes. So uh, that character for me was like one of the most fun to write because he's he's it's uh, played by Kyle Gallner, who is a scene stealer in his own right. And it's did such an effective job with that character. Um, and then you see sort of this glimpse at him at some point in the film. Because, oh, once upon a time, he was just a sweet guy. He was just a regular guy. Gone off to war where shit happens. Yeah, you mentioned Kyle Garner. We talked about him yesterday as um, he was in a film that we were quite fond of, uh, The Cleanse, from a couple years ago. Um, and uh, we, we knew his face. And, uh, boy, you gave him some great dialogue to just chew on. And he, he ate it up, man. Yeah, well, that... That's why when writing the screenplay, I'm like, yeah, this is my USS Indianapolis speech scene. It will be the first thing they ax from the script and the first <laughs> thing they cut in the cutting room. Like, this was the scene I wanted to write so much and let him chew it up. Um, whoever this actor would be to play him. And then once it was Kyle, it was like, oh, man, I love, oh, man. I would, there, were, there were times in the editing room where it's sort of like, you you just want to play the one angle, just one angle like it was theater, but yeah. you can't because you're going to have to make cuts and you're going to have to cut back and, and make it more interesting visually for the viewer. But the performance is, is so solid. You're like, shit, man, we could just use this one take and I am riveted. My eyes are not leaving the screen. Like I just, his performance just sucks me into what he's saying. Um, so yeah, he's so delivered in that to the point where like, I never heard once like, yeah, we're kind of, you know, I, I feel we're dragging here. We're at a point of the movie where I think we should just speed things up. But nobody ever said that. Everyone was like, no, they, they loved that, that five minute speech in the, in the middle of the film. How many, how many takes did that, uh, did that take? Oh, that poor bastard. Guy. <laughs> 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 I mean. Honestly, it, and it's funny because that was a lot of dialogue. And he does dialogue. He was just on that show on CBS All Access Interrogation. And he has to like memorize miles of dialogue for every episode. And this was really the one that was going to be, you know, there are a lot of turns in that scene, you know, where you're laughing, then you're crying, then you're pissed, then you're, you know, like a lot's going on. And it, he like needed that that first take to like kind of work through it. So there were just slightly longer pauses as he's kind of working through the material. And I never asked him, like, hey, let's go in uh, the the conference room in the hotel and just do that scene beat for beat because I had already known what he he was capable of bringing. And I'm like, we have the time. It's in the schedule. I want him to feel it out and we'll get it all on camera. Uh, other, most times in any other situation, I probably would say, look, dude, it's a really long scene. Uh, let's me and you just work through it, you know, the night before or over the weekend. 
So on the day, we can just roll and we can race through it. But this one, like, I, I was totally like, no, let's let's see what he does on the day. And there's a part where, like, he, it's it, a lot of it's like kind of improv. The first couple performances, there's just a lot of kind of physical improvisation, like pulling the other guy played by Skylar Aston over to him and like putting his forehead up to my forehead because I got to tell him something <laughs> and I want to look right in his fucking eyes when I say it at a low volume. Like there were just things that happened on the day and that I was like <laughs> sitting at the monitor going, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he probably had to do it like 25 times because then you're like, oh, move the camera. Oh, change the lighting. Oh, now we're doing it for Skylar, and you're a generous guy. You're not, even though it's just the back of your head. I know you're not going to like mumble your way through the lines. You're going to give it all to Skylar. So he had to, you know, ugh, probably 25 times. <laughs> oh, jeez. I, I think I'm thinking. <laughs> now, now, Eric, one of the most important characters in a haunted house story is the house itself. Can you talk a little bit about the location you shot in? Why did I expect this from the Overlook Hour? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so the outside of the house, this was shot in Bulgaria, and the house we actually used for the uh, exteriors is the actual castle of the King of Bulgaria that after uh, wow. sort of a cultural revolution, now it's a democracy, but that's where the king used to live. Now it's a museum, and he lives over in this other, I don't know, the guest quarters. I mean, it's pretty damn big. <laughs> I live there. Um, <laughs> but he doesn't live in the castle proper, which actually up until, I think, 10 years ago was being used in action movies. Like, I'm sure there's some Stallone film that was shot in an action movie that maybe was never, not even released in the States, done through Millennium Films, which is in, they just make, you know, sort of cheap and dirty movies for international audiences and distribution. Uh, I'm guessing at all this coming right out of my ass, so don't quote me. But anyway, there's a big house there. And you couldn't shoot in it, even though what I was told as we're literally getting on the plane to Bulgaria after scouting all of Canada and going, yep, can't do it here. Way too pricey. Let's go to let's go to Bulgaria where we get infinitely more bang for the buck. And then I'm told, oh, no, no, no. I know I showed you all those photos of the house where they had. You know, you saw the rubble where they were doing explosions and, you know, um, all the squibs in the walls. But, yeah, you can't actually shoot inside there now. All right. Put on your seatbelt. We're going, <laughs> you know. So we get there and I have my I have this incredible uh, production designer, uh, Antonello Rubino, who built the entire top and bottom of that house on a set. And originally that scares me because I've seen that <laughs> yeah. on American sets. And if you decide, Hey, I want to open up the door over here and shoot that way. Can we put the camera behind the door and look through? And then if you open the door, you realize, Oh, no one bothered to paint the other side of the door. Cause they were told <laughs> it wasn't going to be in a shot, but here, I mean, I don't know, man, the craftsmanship of Eastern Europe, they, it just, it smelled old. <laughs> they put fresh paint on it, and yet it smells musty in that place. So they are craftsmen. Um, but it allowed me to then design 
you know, a shot that is in there. I mean, shit, it doesn't mean much after you see 1917 or <laughs> um, uh, Spectre or any of the other great tracking shot movies like Birdman or The Shining. Sure. But I just wanted one tracking shot where like, okay. Like the interview <laughs> chapter, we get to see Jack Torrance walk through the lobby and go to Mr. Alden's office. And here I wanted to see, you know, here we see the soldiers. Something happens early in the film and they got to investigate it. And we're going to follow them in a one tracking shot through the Grand Salon, through the entrance, through the foyer, through the smoking room, through this other weird storage room, into the kitchen, into the servants' quarters. And into the sleeping part of the servants' quarters in one shot and just set up that geography. And I also wanted to do it because sometimes when you don't have to cut, you don't release tension and it doesn't, there's nowhere to blink. Like, even like, I just, I don't, you, you guys are horror movie nuts, as am I. I don't even know that I learned as much as I should from rewatching and studying. But there were there was some movie I was watching. It was a typical thing. They were walking down a dark corridor and we're looking in front of us at the thing that's going to jump out of the shadows right at us. And they cut to the woman holding the flashlight. And on that edit, I felt all the fear drain from my body, like a radiator going all that relief. I'm like, oh, I was truly on the edge of my seat. And now... I'm not scared anymore because I'm looking at her and I'm not, and it's kind of what, when there was that one tracking shot that I wanted in this thing, like you can't even blink. Like you just can keep your eyes open and maybe it's in the next room. Maybe it's there. Maybe it's there. Maybe it's there. And uh, so it was really lucky that we were able to build a house from the floor on up. Um, Cause it was impossible to find any place with like an old school kitchen. Uh, where, you, where you didn't have like, cause even in the oldest places in Canada, like this house, you're going to love, it was built in 1868. And you know, it was a place where during the war people actually, and you get there and it's got a nice kitchen island, <laughs> and microwaves and you're like, yeah, that's not going to do it. So, um, sometimes you just gotta go, all right, fake it. <laughs> now I'll, I'll tell you, normally we have a better nose for when something is a replica or a set. I thought that house was 100% real. Like, without question. Like, maybe maybe the fireplace at one point gave me, like, inklings, but, I, dude, it, it's beautiful. Thank you. I mean, that, seriously, like, you, you know, I'm really glad you said it, because in the interviews I've done, haven't heard that specific uh, note yet, and that, you know, feels great because we built the set and there's blue screen outside the doors. And when the guys come in for months, you're in the editing room looking at your your cast, enter the set, and it's all walking through blue screen. <laughs> and you have no idea, is this ever going to look real? And when we just go back to those shots and we fill in the blue screen with all the footage we took of the actual exterior of that place and we tie it all together in, with the computer... Is it going to look seamless? And to hear from you that it worked, it's like, oh, that's great. No, that's no. When when we were watching awesome. the film, we were actually in awe of one moment where the the guys were walking through what looked like a war-torn neighborhood. 
And we were sitting there like, did they fucking build this in a studio? Oh, yeah. Do you know what I'm talking about? Of course I do. Yeah. I know every horrible second of that goddamn movie. Um, no, what? <laughs> no, I'm, just I'm just kidding. No, yes. There is at the Millennium. Uh, it's like, uh, you know, like the Universal Studios tour where they have the back lots and they have these stages. There. Yeah, 100%. And it, and it is Europe. So what we had to do, though, was like, literally, we couldn't afford to make the entire street cobblestone. But what they could do is chop up some of the cement that was on that English style street or, you know, European French street um, where all the facades are redecorated to appropriately, you know, and, and I'm telling you, these guys are like the best of the best over there and they're European and they know what like the French countryside looked like in 1944 <laughs> and they have endless research. So like all of a sudden, what was two weeks ago, London street is now like the French countryside village in 1944 and we have now added a bit of cobblestone, which was infinitely cheaper than doing the entire street over again. And then it's filled with debris and leaves and dirt and muck. So we don't see that it's kind of a fresh modern day concrete there. Um, and so that's a set. And there are many fires built into that set and cars placed from the era into that set. And then the the gods of cg come in at the end and just add you know more distant fires and and then and a set extension to what was there now now so the fire the upfront fire was real fire all that's real oh, oh yeah all that, okay all good thank fire. you normally yeah. we have a nose um oh god cronenberg made a film map to the stars and i remember mm -hmm. we were we enjoyed it and then, you know, in the third act, there's a scene that just has the most horrendous CGI fire. And, God, that was like a year ago. We watched it. It's been a, a reoccurring bit on this show. Maybe it's more like four <laughs> years ago. It was like four years ago? Yes, sir. God, yeah. When theaters were open. Yeah. Now, 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 I have another compliment for you that may uh, you may not hear anywhere else. Here we and go. And I'm going to try and be a little uh, careful with my wording. So, you've got a, a three-act film. Uh, the three acts are, <laughs> it's an adventure and the camera as a uh, device of uh, projecting our narrative. Now, war is a genre. There's a particular war type camera in um, newer films. And in one of the acts, and I'm, I'm trying not to like do anything. Yeah. Now, yeah. Mm -hmm. the camera language, am I crazy or did it change? It changed. Dude, a, it was so, I just, yes. just really, it was perfect. It, as an audience member, it, I felt emerged, like the narrative took on a very palpable feeling there. And it was something that I wouldn't expect out of a, uh, like traditional studio narrative. Mm -hmm. Like we watch mm -hmm. a lot of found footage here and we always praise them for using camera language as a uh, device to tell their story and amplify it. And I, I was shocked because you essentially did that. Yeah. No question. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. I mean, uh, Lorenzo Senatori, he was, <coughs> excuse me, the DP of this. And, you know, when he first read the script, <laughs> I think, you know, he was like, oh, shit, man, you got a lot going on here. Uh, <laughs> he, just did, 
He just did the outpost, uh, you know, for example, which is, say, set in Afghanistan. Not that our movie is, but that movie is. And he did Hellboy, the recent one, and um, Hitman's Bodyguard. And uh, he did second unit on Wonder Woman and Beauty and the Beast and London Has Fallen. Oh, he's a heavy hitter. Yeah, exactly. He's done big stuff. So for him, collaborating with him was wonderful. And he knows language cinematic language so when we're using anamorphic lenses like literally i mean we're we're trying to get in there with you know the geekiest of them uh the same way i when i watched uh ouija 2 um you know the was that mike flanagan as well it, yeah yes. he he really yeah, right? took that franchise by the reins which <laughs> <Ouija> was great <laughs> right <laughs> Right. I mean, like that movie, I was like, I don't, you know, I put it on expecting nothing and damn, you know, he like used glass lenses that were literally from the seventies, you know, used on thing, you know, like took them out of the storeroom where, you know, it said jaws somewhere on the lens box, you know, or something <laughs> like that, There's, you know, and that was like what we decided, well, we're, we're definitely doing that. You know, we are using the old school anamorphic lenses. And for those who may not know, uh, you know, all the geeky tricks. Here's how you know if it's an anamorphic lens, meaning a lens that was used primarily in the 70s and 80s um, for to make these classic Spielbergian movies. Whenever there's a flare of a flashlight or a sunlight, if you look at the flare, it's oblong. It's not circular. Somehow, the by the time it gets to one end of the lens, it compresses it so that it looks like an oval uh, instead of a circle. And with a the other thing is a spherical lens, which is the more modern lens that people use today that shoots a giant square, and then they add the bars at the top of and the bottom to give it that two point four zero aspect ratio. But there will be no flare there. I mean, well, no, of course there will be flares. But there won't be any stretching because those are done. They are so digital that there's no need to squeeze the image onto a 35 millimeter print of you know film uh, for you know to, to shoot widescreen. So it's that's why the, the the very cinematic language like had to it, we just had to switch it up at some point of the movie um, because yes those. That I'm talking to now with the keenest eye, you know, <laughs> it, will, it will hit them consciously, but it'll certainly work subconsciously with, you know, the, the rest of the audience. And, you know, that's what we were going for. And I'd, I'd have to say I was kind of inspired by the, the Mike Flanagan take of like, oh, just go, go old. Don't try to treat anything in post, you know. Get those old lenses, even if they're somewhat kind of blurry at parts, or you can almost feel the glazed aspect of the lens. It's it's worth it because it it gives it a more timeless feel to it that you just can't add later in post. Um, it, you know, it's all done practically, um, and then when we sort of do something later in the film, then that spherical stuff pops up, and you're like. Yeah, you you feel it more than see it. Oh yeah, no yeah. question. Damn, I, I want to talk more about that. But w when does your movie come out? It comes out July seventeenth. So call me back in a year, and we'll talk. 
Because <laughs> this has been this when you ask at the beginning, wow, what's Q and A like? I'm like, well, it's killing me. <laughs> it's killing me because we are all speaking cryptically, <laughs> you know. And and the thing that would probably generate the most interesting questions of all is that which shall not be named. So it's like, oh god damn! I would, you know, I almost wish this were, you know. Uh, one of those screenings followed by a Q&A where it's like, well, you just seen it. I've been bombing up all the answers. But yeah, for right now, I kind of got to get tight-lipped on the very things I would love to discuss with you. Now, Eric, I get blamed often on this show for spoiling things just based out of my own excitement for things because sometimes uh-huh. I, I, I tend to overlook how uh, something might be considered to be a spoiler and I would just power right through it. So <laughs> I am doing, I am on my best behavior right now, Eric. Wait, what was the very last thing? You oh, said? I just, I just said I, I'm on my best behavior. Yeah. Well, I think I can tell. Yeah. Have you ever had one of those friends who is excited to show you a movie and then when you come over and watch it, he sits next to you and then every five minutes he's like, no, no, you got to watch it right here. He clerks one of those. Okay. That is, that is a gross exaggeration. <laughs> Russell is referencing one time. Yeah. <laughs> my, my um, former writing, co-writing and co-directing partner of the butterfly effect We've watched a lot of movies together, and I recall one time going to the movies with him, and I could feel him staring at me after something. You know, it could have been Requiem for a Dream. It could have been something, and I could feel him, like, looking at me for my reaction, and it was just so, it was like, huh, I don't know that I can sit in the movie theater with you anymore. Like, (laughs) I feel invaded. You know, even though it's just, I know what you're doing, you just want to see my reaction is but like it's distracting me he didn't even have to say anything well eric uh, the movie comes out uh you know in the in the 17th and you're you're winding down everything here how how are you feeling do you sort of have sort of a postpartum situation where you're just you've just been in it for so long and you're just ready for the next thing or how how are you feeling right now yeah it's it's kind of weird because now normally there would be a premiere there would be something you know there would be you would get together with old friends and you know tell stories and it would be more nostalgic and there's that and then there would also be the box office score that would come out and the reports and you could hang out and actually watch uh at some studio executive's house the computer that shows you dollar by dollar what tickets are being purchased all over the country and you might, you know, get the shit scared out of you and it might turn into the worst night of your life. Uh, I haven't had that experience, luckily. Um, but here it's it's different because, you know, it's, um, you know, Vertical is the ones that distributed the film. And, you know, it's like, wow, what do you do? Do you wait for a plague to end and then find yourselves waiting to cram your movie in for what? One weekend between all of the saved up James Bond and Marvel films and Christopher Nolan films that have now been all kind of forced to wait it out before they come out, or do you just go to streaming? And it's bittersweet because like you've seen the film, you know what lenses we used. It's made for the big screen. (laughs) At some some point you're like, you know what? 
there are people now, uh, we're doing this, what is today, the 11th or 12th of uh, July? I can't 13th. The th- is today the 13th? It's the 13th, yeah. my friend. <laughs> Thank you. Jesus Christ. Um, I got bills to pay. <laughs> Taxes coming. Oh, yeah. Um, it's my mom's birthday today. Happy birthday, mom. Happy birthday, mom. <laughs> happy birthday, mom. <laughs> um, and it's sort of like, so uh, historically speaking, as people listen to this podcast in years to come, we just in California went into our second lockdown, pretty much. They've reclosed the uh, barber shops, which, damn, I didn't see that coming because my <laughs> mess is really bad. I thought I could just go next week and take care of this mess, but nope, we're back in it. Um, but people are going to be home and maybe they're going to be starving for entertainment. And when this first started, the Invisible Man came out on Apple you know, iTunes to, to watch. And, you know, a couple of movies that almost made it to the theaters or had just come out right before the lockdowns happened, um, made it to streaming. And it was, you know, interesting where you could rent it for 19 bucks or, you know, that kind of a thing. Um, I have a friend who's a producer. They just made, um, my spy, uh, and that was definitely going to be a theatrical release. And, you know, I just watched it on Amazon Prime for free, and you know, I, I love it. And I'm not <laughs> sure that the horror sci-fi guy would have gone to see my spy in the theater. I just it, it might have, I may never have gotten to it. And yet, here's an opportunity where, for all I know, like ten times more people are going to watch that film. And in my case, I don't know. I'm hoping that well, maybe what this will do is that more people will end up seeing it because they're at home and uh, they can't go out and guess what? Ghosts of War just hit their computers and uh, streaming services uh, this Friday. So I'm, I'm hoping that people, you know, get to see it and the words getting out and people seem to be really digging it. So I just, I just hope you just never know. It's a, it's a quarantine thing. Work. We're going to do our damnedest to, uh, to promote this thing and, and get people to uh, rent this bad boy. Please do. I, <laughs> I really do appreciate it. Absolutely. Russ, you got anything else for Eric? No, um, Eric, uh, thank you for making uh, Randy, our engineer's dream come true. I'm uh, sad that he wasn't here to enjoy it, but if you want to talk a spoiler free interview uh, after it's released, you can always hit us up. <laughs> Oh, that'd be cool. I, uh, yeah, <laughs> I would definitely like that. Absolutely, man. Eric, we love you, and I I hope you come back and start making more movies. You've been gone too long. All right, well, thank you. I'm back now, babies. <laughs> I just got to eliminate this plague thing, and, you know. Yeah, I, I know. Got more to do. Got more to do. Well, thanks again, Eric, and uh, we'll talk again, man. Yep, we lose you, Eric. No, no, I'm here. Okay, we lost that. uh, Say goodbye again, Clark. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks again, Eric, and we'll speak soon. All right, great. Thanks for having me. All right, man. Yeah, and if you listen back to this, you might sound like you're underwater for a little bit of it, but (laughs) we'll we'll throw it to Randy, and and he'll cut it up. He'll work his magic. Yeah, dude, (laughs) thank thank you for taking the time, and uh, congratulations on the movie. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. All right. Have a good night, man. Appreciate it. Bye-bye.